Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our Director of Spiritual Formation, Marjorie Mott. Romans 12, 9-21 Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay any evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I have a story that depicts that so beautifully, and you can throw the picture at Marie. Do any of you know the story of the peace child? It's a book and a movie. Um, it was written, this book was written by Don Richardson, a missionary with the Swali people in Papua New Guinea. And these are people made of multiple tribes who are violent cannibals. And they had a really intricate, complex way that they would choose and groom their victims to the point that they would actually befriend and trick those people that they would then kill and eat. And when Don Richardson told them the the gospel story, they first thought Judas was the hero, right? Because like, that's how they worked to trick, to, to befriend and then trick. But then he also saw within their culture, this beautiful way that they themselves, before any white amazing missionaries came in, um, chose to overcome evil with good through a ritual called the peace child. And that's when two tribes would choose to end their fighting and they would give an infant of their own to the other, tri- to the other tribe as a symbol that as long as that child is alive and well in your community, we will be at peace. And so they would exchange these children. They wouldn't just shake hands and sign an agreement. They put their faith, this love in action, giving of their own. This is what's called a redemptive narrative. How beautiful, right? What a beautiful even analogy of Christ's love for us. 
So let's get into our passage. In Romans 12 here, we've already looked a little bit, um, Scotty preached last week, about the comparison that Paul makes of the church to the human body and, and illustrating how each member plays a significant and vital role. Chapters 12 and 13 here, Paul is essentially asking, then how should we live? Like, how do we do this Christian life? And I think the summary of this passage is cling to what is good by putting love into action. And my key point, even so much simpler, love is action. The NIV translation puts headings, you know, above passages, it's not in the original text, but we all love them. Um, here it says love in action. And I think what Paul is trying to tell us is that love is action, that it requires movement, it requires behavior change, it requires us doing something. And he's stressing that that is good. And so here good and love is intertwined. Good is love and love is good. Verse nine says, love must be sincere, real free from deceit, genuine. This isn't just a feeling, right? It's a mindset, it's a choice. It's not the warm fuzzies. It's not something that always starts internally, but a choice and a behavior. I wanna read the passage again, but in kind of a condensed way. So, love must be sincere, hate evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Never be lacking in zeal. Be joyful, patient, faithful. Share. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is essentially a list of action, right? Do, do not, be, right? Do good by loving and love in this way, this active moving way. I want to pause and look at verse 20 because it is kind of startling. In this passage filled with so much love and um, compassion, right? We hear this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For as it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, Paul now quotes from Proverbs if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Well, that doesn't sound so loving. But one commentary I read said, this was an Egyptian practice that somebody who wanted to display public repentance would have a pan of burning coals that they would carry around. 
But I think we need to remember to be kind to your enemies to the point that they do this isn't so you just, you act so nice really because you just want to shame them, right? Because Paul's saying, be sincere, be genuine. So be a true friend. F.F. Bruce says, I think I had this on a slide, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend and so overcome evil with good. So we give to our enemies. We show compassion. We move towards them, hoping that this will cultivate their repentance. Our motives matter. And I think, I think I've I even have gotten into this in some other sermons. I wish like I could just really understand and like read a ton of books on brain science to understand this relationship between motive and action our feelings and our behavior, but it's blurred. Even here, it's blurred. Our motives matter, but I think this passage, Paul is really stressing the behavior, the action of love, the choice, right? For evil is overcome by good, not just a good that you feel inside, a good that you see other people doing, right? It's action oriented. It's not just felt, it's seen and acted out. Matthew 7, verse 16 says, I have this on a slide. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Paul is stressing here that love is a choice, an action. You have probably recognized that those who might, that there's times where you have to choose to love somebody, probably somebody you live with, and you don't feel like loving them that day or that week, but you choose to pursue them, to do a kind act. And as you do that, you've hopefully seen that the surprising internal movement that you actually move towards them to feel closer and feel more connected. So it is this interesting relationship that sometimes we need to just choose it, even if we don't feel it, choose to love. Trusting that the internal movement will come, that a feeling of love and esteem will come. Brain science does tell us if you think of gratitude, if you focus on gratitude, connection will happen. And so there is a link. Because of Paul's original audience, you know, being the Jews and the Gentiles in a house church, people who are historically not getting along, we know that when he's calling them to love, he's saying these really specific things you go be and do with those who are hard to love. He's saying it about those that are harder to love. I love Ian's question last, the other week about, um, like who makes you uncomfortable and even painting the picture of like, who would you leave a party because, or maybe like you're on your way to a party and you hear like, Oh, those people are going to be there. Well, like, I'm not going to go. I was excited, but now I'm not going to go. Those people. Paul is saying, love them, be devoted to them. 
Have a meal with them, spend time with them, bless them, be at peace with them. Bless them. John Taves says, I think how this is a, on a slide, to bless in a biblical tradition means to call down God's gracious power on someone. Man, to call down, can't you just like imagine Elijah like calling down the fire? Like, I feel like that's what we hear here. You're not just supposed to be nice and do some nice things on the side, but you're supposed to call God's gracious power on them. These people might be here in the church, people that you feel persecuted by or uncomfortable with, cursed by because of your opinions, lifestyle, or choices. And so Paul is telling us, that we might differ on things, but we can always choose unity. We can always choose peace because love isn't just a feeling, it's an action and it's a choice. Unity is possible because of this call of love as action. See, Paul isn't just giving a moral ethic. He's giving a value system. He's telling us as a value system, the way to live, the way to choose things. And he's saying love, choose unity. He's stressing the choice. And this choice, right, it's familial. It's so much like the marriage commitment, the marriage covenant. Um, one of Taylor's favorite things is to look at our wedding album. It's like so beat up because of that. And so as we look through it, I often tell them, that our, our wedding was the day that mommy and daddy decided to choose each other every day for the rest of our lives, to choose each other again and again. There's a famous or well-known um, marriage counselor and author named Gary Thomas. And his like key phrase is marriage is for our holiness, not for our happiness. And so that's the same for the church. It is for your holiness, not for your happiness. Don't be here because we make you happy. Okay, because there's going to be a point where redemption totally fails you and you're not happy with us. Or this the capital C church. Don't attend church because it makes you happy. But because hopefully you feel the stirring of holiness, you feel this call of love, and you act and you see it changing your life. You choose it for your holiness. This is a choice, right? So we stick with it when it's hard, when it's awkward, when it's uncomfortable. That's the kind of love Paul is calling us to live by. This isn't a to-do list that's supposed to burden us. I know when I first read this a few weeks ago, it was oh, a little overwhelming because right, it's like do and be, just go do it all. But I think really when we live by this, it sets us free. Because number one, you're a recipient. You get to receive this love first from God and then from your community. I want to read the list again in this abbreviated way. I want you to imagine yourself on the receiving end. Because I know when we read it, it's like the instinct is to think of how you are to act it out. But 
I encourage you, close your eyes and listen. Listen and check in of how this feels to be on the receiving end of this kind of love. Love must be sincere. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Never be lacking in zeal. Be joyful, patient, faithful. Share. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How does that feel to be on the receiving end of that love? You get to be a recipient when you're a part of a community that loves like this. Don't you want other people to rejoice with you when you rejoice and mourn with you when you mourn? I've just finished a historical nonfiction book based in the Congo, and it was written from the perspective of this white missionary family and the daughters. And the way they depict, describe the mourning ritual of the Congolese who've lost a child was so moving. They describe how they wrapped up that child and the men would carry it through the village while the women would walk on their knees behind. Not just the mother, but all of the mothers would join her to not be alone. See, when we love like this, we are never alone. We will not mourn alone. We will not rejoice alone. You will have a community to stand by you. It's not a list to be a burden, but to free you. When we love like this, people are drawn to loving back in that way. It's not a guarantee, it's not a promise, but it's just another way that this can free you, is to see the cycle of it move. And then lastly, I think it frees us because internally it shifts how we're doing and how we're living. It frees us from the poison of evil, hatred, unforgiveness, I know for me specifically, when I first saw this list, hospitality really struck me. I come from a family that have generations have been, um, have shown me the generousness of hospitality. I recently got to read through my grandmother's, one of my grandmother's journals. One of those ones where it's just, you write a couple lines for each day for five years. And 
her life didn't seem that glamorous. It was shopping and cooking and cleaning. To have people over or to go visit others and take them a meal. And so as I finished looking through that journal, I was struck how much of her life, her daily week was, or her day-to-day and her week was consumed by the practicals of hospitality. It was easy for me to feel overwhelmed, like, oh, geez, like we never have people over for dinner. Because that's, to me, my instinct, right? Hospitality is have people over for a meal. Nobody wants to be at our house for dinner right now. It is so hard. I want to call it a war zone, but that's really not appropriate. It almost feels like that, okay? Between the four of us, it's a war. And I don't want to subject anybody else to it. And so we just don't have many people over for meals right now. And it aches my heart. I come from this family, right? That is so hospitable. But it's challenged me to reimagine what does hospitality look like for me and for our family and in this season. And so it's looked like a lot of fun in the backyard. Karen's hung out and she's walking dogs. Susan and a lot of other mommies have been around while the kids are splashing in the sprinkler. And so I've seen that it frees me because I get to have an adult conversation. My kids are entertained. I get to connect with a neighbor. See, this frees us. It's not just for the other, but for you. For our application tonight, I wanna read over this passage one more time and give you some time to reflect to see what action, what word or phrase is standing out to you. And for you to listen and respond to God. Because I believe God is inviting each of us to take one of these things, these actions to take home and into our week. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, 
you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.